You know, Harry and Meghan, Meg's it. No? Can't believe it. Anyway, so this is what I've got so far. Brendan, just some. Uh, this is not working for me. There we go. Just give me a. Just pull it out and bring it back in again. That's the way. Thank you. Sorry. Um, there we go. There we go. Oh, it's, 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 oh dear. Oh, that's all right. Ah, the problem is, Brendan is doing 10 jobs this morning. So if you want to help him, that'll be great. There we go. It's still, there we go. That's, so top news stories. That's, um, oh, and what I also forgot was Toilet Paper Gate. Got plenty of coverage, didn't it? Toilet Paper Gate. Yes. Um, big news stories. Now, how about we say, what about the 21st century so far? The last, last 20 years. All right, so we're going back a bit further. What do you think of the top news stories? 21st century. Still Megxit? Oh, Brexit. Yeah, that was, that was pretty big. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's been some big ones, haven't there? And if we think, if we keep going back, well, I, I was, uh, uh, the, the 20th century, well, no doubt World Wars. So this is the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald when World War II was, um, uh, well, the Germans surrendered, I should say. Uh, big news story. Invention of uh, penicillin. That was in the um, 20th century. 19th century, we keep going back. Now, obviously, some of us, will, it takes a while to remember that far back. Um, but uh, the 19th century, I wonder what it would be. Maybe the American Civil War was pretty big, abolition of slavery. You know what, though? The, the top news story of the first century, the first century, would have hardly made the news at all. Yet it was the best news for anyone who would believe. It was announced by an angel speaking to a few shepherds on a cold winter's night just outside of Bethlehem. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. See, this news, this news changed the world, didn't it? But more importantly, it saved the world and it can save you and I. This Christmas, we've been working through some of our favourite carols and discovering, perhaps once again, that the wealth and the depth of uh, these lyrics as they point us to Jesus. And today, we're looking at one of Charles Wesley's, I think, most famous uh, and well-known hymns and brilliant carol, that is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to sing it um, in a few minutes' time. When Charles Wesley wrote this Carol in 1739, well, I think he had no idea it would become so famous. He first named it Hark How All the Welkin Ring. Uh, now, Welkin, you may not have heard of that word before. Uh, Welkin is an archaic sort of English word. It's a term used for the heavens. Uh, so, but when his friend um, George Whitfield published the hymn or the carol in 1753, he changed the first line to read, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And that's why it's remained that way ever since. So, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In other words, Hark, um, listen. Listen. Listen to the news, the herald of the angels. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled as the carol goes. See, I have no doubt that Wesley and Whitfield were thinking of the angel's announcement in Luke 2, verse 11. The good news that will cause great joy, and indeed, I think 
uh, thinking of the, the great company of angels praising God in verse 14, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So, why is this such good news? As the angels, why is this such good news? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons why this is such good news. We're going to focus just on two verses, verses 10 and 11. So I hope you got those in front of you. Uh, I'll have them up on the screen too, but you can see a bit more context as well. The first comes from this little phrase, a saviour has been born to you. See, when the angel appeared to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, so I guess we're talking, give or take, nine months before, the angel told Joseph what he should call Jesus and give him the name Jesus. And the angel explained the nature of Jesus' saving future. Remember what the angel said. It's from Matthew 1.21 to Joseph. You are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, sin is our rejection of God. Sin is uh, rejection of God, our creator. Now, we do that either passively or we can do it actively too, can't we? But the consequences are the same. Uh, it's judgment before God, our creator, and, and separation from God and all things good eternally. That's, that are the consequences of our sin if God doesn't intervene. But the good news is God has intervened and he's sent his son. You see, God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. Jesus. And in his death, Jesus took the punishment for our sin. He was separated from God on the cross, taking the full force of, our, of the judgment that we deserved on himself, saving his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. That's what he did. And so that whoever believes in him, you might know that verse in John 3.16, shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's the promise of God made sure by Jesus' resurrection. He's alive today. Mark records these words of Jesus explaining his saving death for us. Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a great story. I've read it a few times, actually. Um, uh, it's taken from a book called Written in Blood by a guy called Robert Coleman. It's a great little story. I believe it's a true story, too. Anyway, he tells this story of a, of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance of recovery was a transfusion from someone who had conquered the disease. Uh, since the two children shared the same rare blood type, uh, the boy was the, well, the ideal donor. Uh, would you give your blood to Mary? The doctor asked. Well, little, little Johnny hesitated and his, his lower lip started to tremble and he smiled and said, yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, for my sister, I will. Sure. Well, soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary was pale and thin. Johnny, robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met together, well, uh, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, uh, Johnny's smile faded. Uh, he watched the blood flow through the tube. With the ordeal almost over, his voice, slightly shaky, uh, broke the silence. Doctor, when do I die? 
Only then did the doctor realise why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had trembled, and, and when he agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. In that brief moment, well, he had made his great decision. Johnny, fortunately, didn't have to die to save his sister. The Bible makes it clear that each of us, however, has a condition that's far more serious than Mary's condition, and it required Jesus to not just give his blood, but give his life. Uh, he gave his life as a ransom, saving his people from their sins. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. Great news. But let me, let, let's keep going. Why is it good news? Again, let's go back to the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. See, Wesley got it right. There can be peace on earth through believing in Jesus. Now, not so much peace between us earthlings. It's not really referring to that. Although the love of Jesus compels us to love each other, which brings peace. But peace between God and us earthlings. <laughs> Sin makes us enemies of God, our enemies with our creator. And so it makes sense if we go on rejecting him, well, we're going to be, we're, there's going to be conflict with God. And that's not a battle that we can win. That's, we won't be on good terms with God. So sin makes us enemies with God, but Jesus' death makes us friends with God. See, by the cross, as Wesley wrote, God and sinners reconciled, made right. Listen to these words from the Apostle uh, Paul. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he's reconciled you. See, once you're far away, over here and here, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's body through death to present you holy in his sight. That's how God sees us when we put our trust in Jesus. And these, listen to these last few lines. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, this is how he looks at you. Without blemish and free from accusation, God and sinners, once out here, now reconciled, forgiven friends with God. But did Jesus just come to this earth for special people? Actually, that's the way that the Jews thought the Christ or the Messiah, God's special king, would, would be a saviour for them. That's what they thought. But actually, no, no, no. Jesus coming... Remember verse 10 of Luke 2? Jesus' coming was for all people, uh, Jews and non-Jews. Luke, the writer of this gospel here, this, this biography of Jesus, wanted to make that really clear, that Jesus, his coming, was for all people. And this is how he did it. This is where you'll need to look in your Bibles if you've got your Bible open. Otherwise, listen carefully. Um, I'll go to our next little slide there. For Jewish readers... Oh, sorry, let's start with the Gentile readers. So Gentile and non-Jew readers. We'll start with them. So the non-Jew readers, the Jewish... Gentile readers, I'm getting there. So the Gentile readers, the non-Jew readers, this whole section that Luke put together through his eyewitness accounts that he's got together, Luke to the 2 verses 1 to 21, points to Jesus as the one worthy of honour and respect. You see, in first century Roman Empire, which we're in here... Uh, although the Roman emperor appears to be in control, that's the message he likes to send anyway to his, to his subjects, to his people, 
The truth is, Jesus is the one who's sovereign and Lord of all. And Luke's making a clear comment here. So according to Roman imperial propaganda, Caesar Augustus, which verse 1 tells us he's the Caesar at the time, Caesar Augustus, he's the saviour, the people were told. He's the one who brings good news. They were the exact words that came out of, the, the, um, came out of imperial propaganda. The Caesar is the saviour. He's the one. He's the one who's going to bring good news of peace. But in reality, Luke says, no, no, this is, this is who will bring you good news of peace. This is who will bring you, uh, who is the saviour, uh, who will proclaim good news, who will bring peace. It's Jesus. That's for the Gentile readers. Now, what about for the Jewish readers? Well, Luke hasn't forgotten them. For the Jewish readers, Jesus fulfills those Old Testament promises that we read in the Old Testament. Uh, there's ancient promises. There are several parallels to the promises of Isaiah 2, verses 9 to 7. You might want to have a read of that when you get home. And I've given you a little summary uh, on the two pages there of your um, bulletin. Uh, so your outline. You might want to go home and, as I said, read that over. But Luke wants, to, wants us to be clear about this. Uh, light and darkness from Isaiah 9. Joy, the birth of a child. God's saving king would come from the line of David. A new era of peace. Jesus' kingdom would last forever. For Jewish readers, Jesus fulfills those promises of the king to come from Isaiah 9. We actually looked at that passage a few, few weeks ago, didn't we? A couple of weeks ago. What's the point? What's the point we read in, the, in Luke's gospel here? The point is that whoever you are, Jesus is God's saviour for you. Whoever you are, Jesus is God's saviour for you. In fact, we can take it a bit further. Whatever you've done, Jesus is God's saviour for you. Let me share one more reason why this is such good news. It's pretty good so far, isn't it? But there's one more reason. And again, it comes from the words the angel spoke to the shepherds. Try to picture that scene for a moment, will you? Uh, and it's halfway through verse 10, those words, do not be afraid, do not fear. Yes, there's a sense here of the immediate fear of the shepherds. As we've got a picture of saying, use your imagination. You're out a little while off from Bethlehem. There's no streetlights. Um, there might be a fire burning, but it's a dark night. Uh, darkness, the only light really, maybe a fire. Uh, if that's, it's probably a cold night too, if it's that time of year. And then all of a sudden, bright lights surround them. Bright lights and an angel. And we don't know what the angel looked like, one of God's messengers. But I can tell you what, I think it would have been a bit scary. All of a sudden, there in front of them. I think, who wouldn't be feeling a tad anxious about that when that happens in front of you? But I think there's something much bigger being addressed than just that. I think than just, I've seen a ghost type fear, or however you might describe that fear. You see, friends, I reckon we live in a world that, that is full of fear, anxiety and worry. We, we know this world is not perfect. In fact, the Bible tells us that, doesn't it? And we're reminded of this imperfection daily whether it's through sickness, whether it's through pain, viruses. Really, the bottom line is our mortality. That's the fear. It makes us afraid. We worry 
as people. Or perhaps it's conflict or, or politics or the economy or the environment. Uh, we fear for the future. Or even just simply relationships. Perhaps we're scared about the future because of our past. Our, our sins against God, our sins against other people, against each other. What's that going to mean for the future? Uh, can I be forgiven? Will God forgive me? And I'm scared. But the promise of Jesus, well, it's not a perfect life. No, Jesus doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise life with no trouble and no hardship. But what he promises is peace. Peace with him. Uh, peace with God, forgiveness and comfort. Rest in him. Where we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. See, Jesus is God's king, not Caesar. <laughs> no, that's just pales in insignificance, doesn't it? Not Caesar. No, no, Jesus is God's king. He's king over everything, in control, sovereign. Jesus is the answer to all those fears. Jesus. No wonder the angel said to the shepherds, do not fear. So, friends, do not fear. Jesus is the answer to our fears. God's king has come. Trust him. Good news. Good news. But, you know, there's a thing about Christmas. There's just something about Christmas I've been thinking about lately. Why with such good news? Why with that great news? Why do we play it down and disguise it in our love for decorations, lights and presents and trees? Why do we do that? Let's just call that for a moment. Let's call that cultural Christianity. Right? Stay with me. Cultural Christianity. Right? Presents, decorations, lights, trees, all that. See, I think here's what we do. We accommodate cultural Christianity. Lights, trees, decorations. And in so doing, we disguise and we even compromise the real Christian message. The good news. And we do that by just confusing people. We confuse people. This is how one writer put it. We engage in cultural Christianity's myths as a means of teaching Christian Christianity's truths and wonder why cultural Christians never get it. It's a good point, isn't it? The, the problem, of course, is with this accommodation to cultural Christianity is that it sends the message that cultural Christianity once or twice a year is fine. But cultural Christianity is not Christian Christianity. It's not. Far from it. So what do we do? Should we have a little working bee and take down everything? All the lights and all that sort of stuff? Do we cancel carols? Too late. We did it last night. Um, Christmas trees, take down the lights become a bit of a Scrooge, wouldn't we? I'm not sure that's the right answer don't think so but no, no, let's, let's be aware of the distraction and let's not disguise the good news the message of the gospel the message of Christmas let's preach Christ let's preach Christ, let's tell our friends uh, if you don't know the Lord Jesus hear the good news today don't get, please don't get um Confused by the lights and the trees. 
Hear the good news of Jesus. Put your trust in him. Uh, It's the best news that anyone will ever hear. The good news of Jesus. The news of the angels. Jesus, the saviour of the world, has come. God and sinners reconciled. How about we pray? And we'll see if there's any comments or questions as we do. And then um, we're going to sing that carol soon. So warm those vocal cords up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, um, uh, for your love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you so loved the world that you gave us your only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Lord, we pray that we won't disguise um, or get confused about the real meaning of Christmas, about the goodness of your gospel, about the reason um, of, the, of the, the Christmas message. And Lord, we pray that we'd be bold and we pray that we trust in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for today, uh, the privilege it is to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. So if, you, if you're with us for the...